Well, good morning. That was kind of weak. Good morning. All right, that's messed better. I just want to make sure you guys are with me. Um, if you came in late this morning wondering who I am, uh, my name is Kurt Bubna, and I have the honor of being the senior pastor here at East Point. And I've been gone on sabbatical for uh, seven weeks, actually, traveling about half that time. Got to go to Israel. Had an amazing, life-changing time. For me, it was, uh, it was really, my only regret was I waited this long to go. Um, been working on my second book proposal, and uh, most of you know I've got a book coming out in September by Tyndale called Epic Grace, and, and uh, getting, thank you, whoever that was. You get a free book, I don't know who that was. But uh, I have uh, been working a lot, writing a lot, enjoying it a great deal. I visited quite a few churches while I was gone. I uh, actually got to go to, you're going to hear some stories, you know that, right? I'll tell you a couple today, and then you'll hear, but by the time I'm done, you'll be like, you know, a month or two from now, stop telling us about, you know, Israel. But yeah, I, I got to visit the uh, oldest Protestant church in the Middle East, uh, literally the oldest Protestant church there, and got to, it was an Anglican, Anglican church, and got to in, uh, engage with them uh, in one service and worship. I've uh, been uh, several other places, some Life Center Daughter churches, and I tell you, I love the church, capital C, I love the church of Jesus around the world. And uh, what's so cool for me is that one of the songs we sang today, uh, I actually sang in Israel. I mean, people are there worshiping the same God we do, and that just blows my mind. But um, I, you need to know, and I, I'm a little biased, certainly I am, but I love, uh, I love this church. I love our staff. I love our worship. Um, I even love this whole Kmart building. It's just, it's just me. Uh, I love being here, and it's so good to be home. Today, we're going to start a new series and uh, it's going to be through the book of James. It's a big idea walk through the book of James, more of a topical approach. If you uh, have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it with you, uh, especially for the next five weeks as we walk through this book t- uh, together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or if you forgot yours today, please just raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. The ushers have got Bibles. We'd love to give you one for today uh, to use. And if you don't have a Bible, you take this Bible home as our gift to you. And if you're taking one of the Bibles that's being handed out, James is about, I don't know, about 850 uh, page number. It's one of those books, if you're opening your Bible, it's further back than you think it is. There's one way up here too, guys. It's further back than you think it is. It's um, after the book of Hebrews. So uh, James is a great book. I'm starting this brand new series that he called Street Smart. And like I said, we're going to walk through James together. And speaking of James, I do need to give honor to where honor is due. One of my heroes, a guy named James Emery White, his uh, commentary on this book has influenced me a lot, has blessed me a lot. So I will be drawing from his thoughts a great deal. But uh, I love this book. I, I, uh, I think it's a very challenging book. How many of you have, have ever read the book of James? James, you, you know what, what I'm saying, what I mean when I say it's challenging. Uh, it's one that, though I've read it many, many, many times, every time I read it, it kicks my spiritual butt. Uh, it's direct, it's blunt, it's in your face, but it's also full of practical wisdom for doing life, which is why I'm calling this series Street Smart. I love the entire Bible. I love the Word of God. But I truly believe that this book is one of the greatest books in the New Testament. And here's what I know. I promise you this. If you read it, and if you listen, and if you open your heart, it will change your life. It will impact you. It will challenge you. It will correct you. And it will encourage you to be a lot more like Jesus. I love this book. We're going to walk through it uh, this summer together. Well, let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of James. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, this starts with uh, James. It's me, guys. Now, we don't have a lot of historical understanding 
Uh, most of us don't know much about James. Let me give you just a little bit of insight. The first interesting thing about James <clears throat> is that he is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And I find that both cool and weird at the same time. Uh, cool that he grew up with Jesus, that he intimately knew Jesus as his brother. Kind of weird, don't you think about it? Can you imagine sitting around the dinner table and, you know, Mary goes, Jesus, we're out of bread. All right. Uh, that was supposed to be a joke. You guys are, I know I'm a little rusty, but, but, <laughs> but I, not, he actually, his first miracle was turning the water into wine. But I think it would have been a, both really amazing and a little different to uh, look at your brother and realize that, that this guy's the Messiah. Because at some point, James became an, a, a diligent and faithful follower of Jesus as his Lord, Savior, and Messiah. And we don't completely understand what that means. We Gentiles don't completely get that. But for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jews, the one promise they held on to and looked forward to more than any was the promise of a Messiah. It was the promise that they all believed that God was going to send the Messiah, the Savior of, of his people and, and of the world. And for James to realize, what was that like when that moment came and what dawned on him? Wow, the one that my people have been looking for for generations is my brother. It's Jesus. It's him. James was also a passionate part of, of the first church of Jerusalem and a leader who eventually became the head of the Jerusalem church. Uh, he eventually became the guy that was responsible. He was the senior pastor, so to speak, of the Jerusalem church. The Apostle Paul, on his first visit to Jerusalem, after he had his encounter with God, uh, with Jesus, and uh, got knocked on his tush, his first encounter in Jerusalem, he went there to, to visit James because he was the leader of the church. Peter, Acts chapter 12, I love this story where Peter gets set free by an angel out of jail, and the first thing Peter tells uh, the, the guys, when he runs into more Christians, say, hey, be sure and tell James. Tell James that I'm out of prison, that all is well. Church tradition, this is not in the Bible, but church tradition tells us that besides being a pillar of the church, that James uh, was known as old camel knees. And the reason for that was because he had calluses on his knees from many, many hours spent in prayer. I, I just think that's an amazing testimony. I've been called Old Camel Face before, but I'd much rather be called Old Camel Knees. And this guy loved Jesus and loved God so much that he spent that many hours on his face in prayer. And one other thing church history tells us is that James was martyred. Uh, this again blows my mind. You think about it. Just put yourself in his shoes. He is the half-brother of Jesus. He, he gave his life ultimately for his brother. He was mar martyred by beheading uh, somewhere right around AD 62 under the horrible persecution that Christians were suffering under the Emperor Nero. And James simply starts this letter out as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, input, parentheses, my brother. James, a servant. What an extraordinary servant he was. And he doesn't waste any time challenging it. It's not like he goes through a lot of nice introductory comments and kind of gets through a bunch of, you know, he just throws a few stories out there to make people feel comfortable. Very first thing he says in verse 2, look at it with me together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Now, does anybody else read this and start screaming almost immediately? What does he mean, consider a pure joy? What is he talking about? How could you say something so stupid? We're only in verse 2, and some of you are ready to close the book and forget this series. You don't want to hear any more. 
And I understand how frustrating and difficult it is to hear this and to do this, to live it out. Consider it pure joy. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Just the past couple of weeks, um, I've had plenty of trials. I have not one but two crowns that disintegrated in my mouth. Do you know how expensive crowns are anymore? I got two of them that just, just disintegrated at about five, six days apart. I thought, what is going on? Uh, my air conditioning went out during the hottest time, and it was $472.96 to repair my AC. Little things like that. Uh, we've had some challenges, you know, even as a church, as you, most of you, some of you are aware. But you may not know, you notice our website this week got hacked? Yeah, you could have got a great deal for Viagra from the East Point website this week. <laughs> not good. And uh, Jeff has spent about two, you know, full days trying to fix it and work on it. Um, frankly, right now, and, you know, you know me, you know I'm not saying this to manipulate anybody. But our finances in the summer are usually a little tighter. They've been extremely tight. Maybe it's because I've been gone, I don't know. But uh, we've been, it's, it's very tighter than we've ever been before. And so those are some of the struggles that I've been dealing with. And when I read, <clears throat> when I read James says, consider it pure joy, there's just a little bit of me that goes, ah, I'd really rather not, thank you very much. And my struggles pale in comparison to some of yours. A friend of ours, one of the guys in our church this week, has had melanoma, and he's dealing with cancer right now. And, and I know how terrifying that can be. Some of you are dealing with marriage troubles and issues that are way bigger than you, and you're struggling. Uh, some are wrestling with health issues, other things. Uh, Pastor Brian, please be praying for him. He's home right now. He's suffering, I always mess this word up, diverticulitis, whatever it is. He's not doing well, and uh, he's, he's suffering quite a bit right now with some health issues. Um, Suzanne, our business manager, recently lost her dad, and some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost jobs. I understand that my struggle, you think tooth, I, I'd give a, you know, anything just to have a tooth crumble. Some of you are dealing with things way bigger than this, and here's the deal. Life is hard sometimes. I know we know that, but I want to just paint it in a different picture today. Life is hard, and it's not easy to hear when someone says, even if it's in the Bible, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. But I want you to stop and think with me just for a moment about the alternatives. I mean, what are the alternatives to considering it pure joy? Well, we could get bitter, and, and anybody been around a bitter person? I don't think bitter is better. Bitter is one option, but not a good one. We can give up. We can quit. I don't think, again, that's a good option. We can play the victim card or the blame card, or we can sit and whine. You know, when kids whine, it's never a pretty picture. And I always think about how often God has to put up with my whining. And again, those are the alternatives, not healthy alternatives. Is that really better for us? Not at all. Is it something that we really think is good? No, most of us don't. And that's why James offers a better alternative here. He says, consider your troubles an opportunity for joy. Now, does he mean just slap a happy sticker on our problems? No. Does he mean just pretend like everything is golden when it's not? No, not at all. Is James saying, just be happy and giddy and, and don't worry about stuff. It's, you know, don't, 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 don't even think about it. Just kind of push it aside. I don't think so. Uh, then what is he trying to teach us here? Well, his main thing and what I want to land on hard today is that he, we need a change of perspective. I believe that James is saying to us, we need a radical change in our perspective. Instead of seeing our problems and our struggles the way most of us tend to, we need to see them differently. See, we tend to confuse happiness with joy. And I'm not going to unpack this very much today, but I want to give you some definitions, because they're actually two very different things. 
Happiness is based on circumstances. Things are good. I'm good. My life is going well. I'm well. You know, I don't have any problems, so I'm happy. Life is going the way I want it to or the way I expect it to. And so I feel good. Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is driven by emotion. But joy is much deeper, much deeper than that. Because it's based on, and listen carefully, it's based on how you think, what you think, on your perspective and your beliefs rather than just on how you feel. Let me say that again. Joy isn't based on circumstances. It's based on how you think and how you feel, what you believe, your your belief about those things and how that affects you. And James is challenging us to have a different perspective. Why? Well, because of what can happen when we do. Look at verse three. Verse two, he says, consider pure joy. Verse three, because. Here's the secret. Here's the insight. Why would I consider it joy? Because you know, do you? You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Why in heaven's name would we be joyful? Because, James says, we know that a little bit of heaven is being developed in us with the testing of our faith. You know, we've all heard the phrase, uh, no pain, no gain. And we know that to be true in physical sense. I have, um, let's just say I've come back with about five pounds of bagels in places I didn't really want to have them. And uh, when you travel and you eat on the road a lot, it's not good. So I haven't been working out very diligently. In fact, truth is, I haven't been working out at all. And I've been walking a lot, but not working out. So yesterday morning, I thought, I'm going to take my fat butt down, and I'm going to go work out at Oz Fitness. And I did. And I knew that I needed to pace myself, that it would be better to not do too much. It's not really my personality, and so I am sore in so many places right now, it's not even funny. If you hug me this morning, please be gentle. I ache right here in my tricep. I hit myself on something. I've got a bru- I'm, I'm in a mess right now. I, I'm not feeling very good. But we know this to be true. No pain, no gain. That, it's, that it takes a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pain for us to get our bodies in shape. And guess what? This is absolutely true of our faith as well. Real faith, true faith, growing faith, strong faith, and I know you're going to hate this, but I'm going to say it anyhow, is developed in the midst of struggle. True, growing faith, strong faith is developed in the midst of pain, in the midst of a hurtful experience or a challenging hardship. I uh, never was very good at biology or math. I struggled a great deal through those topics in school. I uh, was better at the history and creative writing. But I do remember in biology this principle called the adversity principle. Anybody remember any, bio, any science teachers? The adversity principle. It's a great. Biologists discover this simple truth. That habitual, ongoing well-being for any species is not a good thing. That when something exists without challenge, it actually becomes weak. Uh, trees, for example, in the rainforest. Because there's lots of water available, their roots don't have to go very deep. And so they're more easily pushed over in a storm than a tree that is planted in drier ground or in in land that requires the roots to go deep. Ever seen a tree on the coast? You remember how the the wind pretty much forces them one half, it doesn't grow much to the ocean side, there's not much of a branch there. The other side, it kind of looks kind of odd. Those trees are incredibly strong. Why? Because they've had to deal with constant struggle, constant adversity. The wind has blown against it. Always, and that tree is stronger than most. 
And it's no different with us humans. Our pain can make us stronger. It can. As we endure, we grow. As we persevere, we mature. We become better, deeper, rooted, stronger in our faith because we've grown through the experience of suffering. I want to suggest that God's end game for you and me is our spiritual growth. That his goal for you is to grow us up. One of my most frequent prayers is, God, help me to grow up before I grow old. And uh, I, I, you know, this is a prayer that if you pray, I promise you, God will answer that prayer. God, help me grow up. Oh, boy, baby, be careful. Because that's one of those prayers. Because, oh, man, I've been waiting for you to ask that for a long time. And guess one of the best ways he uses to grow us? Starts, you know, letting things into our life that challenge us. God's in game is spiritual maturity. And I believe that we grow much better, much faster, when we have this radical change in our perspective and we cooperate with the process. If we're fighting it and being bitter and angry and vile and, and, and unholy in our response to the struggles that we have, then I think it's going to take a lot longer for that process to develop the faith that we need to have. And so my suggestion is rather than get lost in a maze of depression and frustration, I think we must learn to embrace what we hate. We need to embrace what we hate because of what it can do for us and in us. Now, when I say embrace what we hate, I don't mean just roll over and take it. I don't mean we just wallow in our misery and that we just, you know, that, that's not what I mean. What, but when I say embrace what we hate, what I mean is we need to cooperate with the process that God wants to take us through. Because James make, makes this point. Look at verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And guess what I think one of the most important verse, uh, words in that verse 4 is? Let. Let. Instead of fighting, resisting, getting angry and bitter and mad at God and mad at people and mad at life and just mad, period, James says, let perseverance finish its work. And so for this to work, here's what I want to suggest. We need to let perseverance finish its work and not lose sight of the goal, our spiritual growth. And that is a retraining. In fact, we have to unlearn a reactive mode that most of us fall into when hard times come. The reactive mode when something bad happens is, ah! we get mad, we scream, we react, we run. And instead of that, what I'm saying is we have to unlearn that reactive mode and learn to respond. And we respond by letting. We say, okay, God, I hate this. We can be honest with him. I don't like this. I would not have chosen this, but I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to understand that there's the possibility, if I cooperate with you, that I'll become more like Jesus in the process. And we can't lose sight of the goal, our spiritual growth. I just passed um, June, my uh, two-year anniversary of being cancer-free. And most of you know that I had prostate cancer uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, what you may not know is that my recovery from that um, was <laughs> extremely painful. Um, the surgery was not fun. The recovery was horrible. And I had, and I'm not, I, I know it almost sounds funny, but believe me, it wasn't. I had hiccups for five days. And I don't mean just a little bit once in a while. I mean nonstop, violent, nonstop, five days. I couldn't sleep. I, it, when you have your gut opened and you're... <laughs> It hurts. 
Uh, I was miserable. I was in so much pain. And it was really dis- d- discouraging. It was, it was like, oh, Lord, I mean, I've never had this happen before, and I don't know what to do. And I tried everything. Believe me. I, you, don't come up and tell me it's, you know, the, the, the thing I should have done, because I tried it. You know, from peanut butter to drinking upside down. I mean, everything I could do, I tried. And did I enjoy that five days? No. Was I happy? No, not at all. Not at all. But did I grow during that time? I did. Why? Because in the midst of it, throughout it, I just kept saying, Jesus, I don't know why this is happening, but I'm going to put my hope in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to hope, Lord. I actually read an article on, you know, um, Google's great and it's horrible. Somebody actually had surgery and they lived with hiccups for the rest of their life. So I'm thinking, oh. And I came to a point, though, I came to a point where I said, Lord, even if I have these for the rest of my life, I'm going to put my trust in you. I grew through that experience because I chose to have a change of perspective in the midst of my struggle. Now, obviously and honestly, I would have preferred to have grown any other way. I would have liked to just, you know, read more of my Bible and pray more. And by the way, reading your Bible and praying are awesome ways to develop in your, your faith and to grow. I wish I could just take a spiritual vitamin, wouldn't that be cool? Or a spirit, spiritual protein drink. Did you have your drink today, honey? Yes, I did, and I'm feeling much more like God because of it. Wouldn't it be great if I could just take some simple pill or drink or some easy way to get there, but whether we like it or not, and we don't. The best way we humans tend to grow is through the valley, the shadow of death. Why? Because it's there that we learn not to fear evil. Why? Because it's there that we find that he is with us. We must embrace what we hate because that's where we discover more of God. That's where we discover his presence in ways that we would never know if life was always easy and good. And that's where our faith in him can. And again, it's up to you. Whether it does or not, it's really up to us. But that's where our faith in him can grow exponentially. See, I look back over my life now, and there have been times where I have quit. I'll be honest with you. Where I just bagged it and said, done, over, finished, see you later, thanks, no thanks, God. I'm not going to go this route. I'm done. I quit. There have been times when I have done so. And now I look back at those from you know, hindsight and I realize how much I could have grown if I had just let perseverance, keyword, let perseverance do its work in me. I want to tell you today that a life in Jesus that makes a difference in this world, that goes way beyond just lip service to God. You know, it's easy for us to say nice things about God when everything's good. It's easy for, oh, the Lord has blessed me so much when we're feeling really blessed. Oh, God is so good when everything's going good. But a life that really makes a difference in our culture, in this world, is a life that presses through the struggles, that stays the course, that perseveres no matter what. Because that's a life that others around us are going to look at and go, wow, how did you survive that? How did you go through that? How did you deal with that? How could you be so wounded by that person and still be the person you are, still be kind and grace-filled and loving? How? And when people ask us how, 
we'll point to the one who's been our strength in the midst of the storm. See, we all get knocked down. I'm looking through a room, at a room of people filled, uh, and I know that every one of you at some point, and many of you, I know your stories, we all get knocked down. We all suffer at some point in our life. We all do. And so the question is, what are you going to do when life gets ugly? What are you going to do when life sucks the bone marrow right out of you? Will you get up? Will you stay the course? Will you, by his grace and in his strength, finish the race and persevere? I want to show you a video. It's actually pretty old. It's been around for quite a while. In fact, it's so old, for some of you, it's going to be brand new. But I want you to watch this together. At number 28, an Olympic image that if you watched it at the time, Barcelona 1992, will live with you forever. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. The Cuban Hernandez has got uh, Redmond to aim at, and so too in line number three is Steve Lewis, but Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail of Qatar. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Barra of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. that video. Nobody remembers who won the gold medal in that 400 meter race, 1992. But anybody who saw that, like I did, we remember Derek Redmond. And what totally blew my mind was this guy not only got up to finish the race, and by the way, stayed in his lane so he wouldn't get DQ'd, disqualified. But it was his dad that joined him. They tried to keep him off. He's like, get away from me. I'm going to my son. And he wrapped his arms around his son, and they finished together. If you're down right now, if you're struggling, if you're broken, if you're torn, 
If you're going through something really hard, something unexpected, can I gently encourage you today to choose to see your struggle from an internal perspective and to get up and to keep going. But more than that, to know that you are not alone. As much as, as, much as that father joined his son, we have the Holy Spirit. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is paraclete. It means the one who comes alongside. He comes next to us to help us finish the race. James gives us this promise. I'm going to read one last verse. I'll tell you one more story and I'm done. Verse 12. He said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James says, blessed. Keep this in mind, that though trials are hard, on the other side of it, when we get to be with the Father, the promise is a crown of life to those who persevere under trial. The Bible promises that we will be blessed if we persevere. My mom and I uh, rented a car when we were in Israel. Last story, I'll, f I'll finish with this. She'd been to Israel three times before, and she did not want to uh, take the, a tour. And so she put the package together, and she said, son, I'll, you know, I know where we're going. And, and uh, just uh, she put together quite an itinerary. She said, we're going to rent a car, and, and we'll just go there. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll drive in Israel. Let me just give you one little piece of advice if you ever go to Israel. Never drive. I used to think Spokane drivers were kind of, yeah, not the best. We are golden. We're great. I mean, they make up their own rules. They never follow the speed limit. They honk like crazy. I mean, they're horrible, terrible drivers. And the roads are, are you get lost in a heartbeat. And I had my phone and I had, you know, my GPS, but, but you know how that is half the time. And, and uh, things weren't really as easy as I thought they might have been. And so it was pretty much a struggle. My mom, who, by the way, paid for this trip. So and I'm like, okay, mom, whatever you want. And uh, she, uh, she wanted to go to this place called Nazareth Village. Now, it's a little spot that they actually built uh, a replica of the village that Jesus grew up in. And they historically built a very accurate replica. In fact, they actually have people, it's kind of like going to Disneyland where people work there and, and, and dress, you know, in, well, not like Disneyland that way. But they actually wore the, the clothing of the day. They worked there. They had the shepherd. They had a, a carpenter just like Joseph. They had all these things in this little village. It was really cool. And she says, I want to, I want to go to Nazareth Village. Great. Do you have an address? No. Do you know where it's at? Well, it's in Nazareth, the city of Nazareth, which is Palestinian territory, by the way, and not a real safe place to be. Crazy place in many ways. She said, I know it's there. We'll find it. I drove, I mean, the streets of Nazareth are like this. They're windy and twisty and up and down and all over the place. And I'm in this car getting honked at and stared at and, and lost and getting frustrated. And if you know me, you know I hate to be, I hate to be lost and I hate to be late. And I'm, I, am, I am struggling, and I'm about ready to just call it quits. And we finally end up on this place called Mount Precipice. I don't know if you know the story, but that's where Jesus was taken out of Nazareth, and they were going to throw him off Mount Precipice and kill him. So we're at the we're top of this mountain. Gorgeous, beautiful view, and we're nowhere near Nazareth Village. And I'm about this close to saying, Mom, we're, we're bagging it. We're, we're heading for the, the room. We're done. And a bus driver was there, tour bus, and I thought, okay, one thing, I'll try. And I walked up to the tour, uh, the bus driver, bus driver, and I said, do you speak English? A little. 
Do you know where Nazareth Village is? Yes. Can you tell me how to get there? No. He knew very little English. And then he called over another guy, I think it was the tour guide, and they start, you know, they're, they're very, they're using their hands, and they're talking back and forth, and they get in, it's like they're in an argument, they're fighting, and I'm this, and I'm this, and who's this, and I'm just kind of sitting there like, listening to these guys, and finally the one guy said, you follow me. I go, what do you mean? He says, you follow me, I take you there. All right. So he jumped in the bus, they got all their people in, and uh, I got in the car, I said, Mom, buckle up. <laughs> and I stayed on that guy, I was like a tailgate on this bus driver. As we went through, I never would have found Nazareth Village on my own. All these roads and around and twisty places, and finally he pulls off, and the, you know, where he shouldn't have pulled off, but that's what they do. They make up their own rules, and he comes running back, and he says, just up here on right, just up here. I'm, and I'm so grateful, and guess what, was, it was just up there on the right. But we got there, it was awesome, it was wonderful, and, and I could not help but think, you know what, that's the way life is for so many of us. We get lost, frustrated, disappointed, irritated, ready to quit. And then Jesus comes and says, just follow me, I'll get you there. I know you're lost, I know you don't know where you're at, I know you have no clue. Just follow me, stay close to me, and I'll get you right where you need to be. Bow ahead, somebody pray for you. Lord, um, the fact that we are not alone in this journey is the greatest comfort that we can, we can hold on to. The fact that we get broken, lost, damaged, wounded, hurt, frustrated, angry, bitter, the fact that life is hard sometimes is not, again, it is not the end of the story that we can, in the midst of that situation, turn our eyes to you and find you in that valley of the shadow of death right there with us, ready and willing to guide us to exactly where we need to be, comforting us in the midst of our struggle. And God, some of my friends in this room are going through struggle and difficulty, and I pray, Jesus, right now that they would find you, look to you, that they would in the midst of that, count it joy, not because they're happy about what's happened, but because they know they're not alone. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And, and you know it's time. You've been wandering on your own and you know you're far from God, far from the life that you want and that he wants for you. And you know you need him. And how you know that, it's probably hard to even describe. You, just in your gut, your heart, you know you need relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you today, the great news is he wants it more than you do. And he's here right now. And for you, it starts with a yes. We say yes to him. Yes, God, here's my life. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Yes, I'm going to stay close. Yes, I am going to walk with you. And if that's you, that's what you want, would you just make this simple prayer that I'll pray right now your prayer? Make this your prayer. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I have gone my own way and I'm, I am way off course. But right here, right now, I surrender my life to you. I yield. I say yes to you. And right here, I'm choosing to follow you, to accept your gift of grace and mercy in my life. What you did for me in that cross, Jesus, blows my mind. Thank you. And today, I'm choosing to not only thank you, 
but to follow you. Now, if that's you in your heart, in your own way, just say, yep, God, that prayer, that's me. That's what I want. My Bible says the moment you make that decision, that choice, you, you, get, you go from the darkness into light. You go from being lost to being found. You go from, from being far from God to being a child of God the moment you say yes to him. Lord, thank you for those that are making that decision right now. Show them what it means. Show them that they're no longer ever going to be alone again. And all of us, Lord, help us leave this place with a different perspective than we came, an eternal perspective, so that we can encounter all joy when we encounter various trials. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish one last song. The ushers are going to come. If you're visiting today, if you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give. This is your church gift. Give to support what God's doing here. I need your, your help. We need you to help. But let's give as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. Hey, a couple of things before you go. Uh, today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, I encourage you to tell somebody, come tell me, we want to walk with you in this journey. And on the tables by the doors, there's a packet that says for new believers, get a Bible, some material you started in your walk with Jesus. I encourage you, if you've not been to the point, uh, about a half hour from now, in the old lobby in the coffee chapel, I encourage you to go to that class. It's only this week and next. And then help the youth uh, stop by and get your, your lunch at the uh, Krispy Kreme donut table. That'd be great. Hey, here's my prayer for you. May you go this week, and even when you face something completely unexpected and way bigger than you, may you know that you're not alone. You're never alone. And may you have that perspective that brings you joy. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.